This podcast contains graphic or mature material. Depictions of murder, violence, domestic abuse, and graphic images are discussed in detail during this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back. We are the Cold Case Crew, and we are a group of friends who have gotten together to take a look at some of the oldest cold cases around in hopes of giving new life and perhaps a new hope of resolution to a decades-old story that has long since been silenced. My name is Whitney. It's Ashley. And I'm Beth. We would like to take a minute to send a very special shout out to our patrons over on our Patreon. Thank you for your continued support. And a shout out to Brenda Bishop. If you are interested in becoming a patron, head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash cold case crew. Starting at the $5 level, you get access to our bonus series Blonde Reactions, which go up bi-weekly. You can also get perks starting as low as $3 where you are eligible for episodic updates for any episode featured over on this channel. At the $10 level, you receive all that plus your choice of CCC shirt or tank. Thank you again to all our patrons for your support. We are back in Raleigh County today with another hometown haunt, which is precisely how I would describe this case. Haunting. There's always an air of mystery that surrounds cold cases, but this case is particularly ominous because our victim has never been found. Her fate remains unknown, which is why we encourage any local listeners to pay particularly close attention. Maybe you have that one piece of information which could bring Tammy Jean Daniel home. I've always found this one interesting. Yeah, me too. And I, gosh, I wish somebody would reach out to us if they know something. In fact, I found it interesting in doing research for this episode, the parallels that appeared to exist between this case and the 1993 disappearance of Sharice Gwen Stevens that we have previously covered. Now, are these two cases related? No. But there is something that can be learned from both of them. I'd be curious if you two see the same similarities by the end of this episode. If you haven't listened to Sharice's episode, go on back and give her a listen at the end. Today, we will be covering the 1987 disappearance of Tammy Jean Daniel of Staniford, West Virginia. Ladies, are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Let's go. Tammy Jean Daniel was born Tammy Jean Hensdell on October 20th, 1963, her parents' wedding anniversary, to Robert Jefferson, or Jeff, and Norma Hensdell of Beckley, West Virginia. Tammy had one sibling, a brother named Jeffrey, and a beloved dog named Shasta. She loved to ride motorcycles and would often go out riding with her parents and her brother. Tammy lived a fairly normal life, graduating from Woodrow Wilson High School in 1980. She was a pretty girl with light blonde hair and striking blue eyes who stood around 5 feet 7 inches tall and weighed around 125 pounds. She was kind to others and was well-liked among her peers. She married Ronald Jean Daniel, better known by his middle name Jean, in December of 1985, and the pair settled down in a trailer in the unincorporated community of Staniford in Raleigh County, West Virginia. The marriage was notably turbulent, and the pair had only been married for around 18 months at the time of Tammy's disappearance in June of 1987. Do we know if he was older than her? I believe he was. Okay. I'm not sure how much, though. On June 2nd, 1987, Tammy had been out at the El Cid Club in Beckley, which was located on South Fayette Street behind the Black Knight Country Club. Shortly before 3 a.m., the Beckley Police Department called the Hensdills and informed them that Tammy was out at El Cid and needed a ride home. Her parents arrived to pick her up around 3 a.m. and drove her to her residence at 125 Lindy Street in Staniford. Despite it being her home, Tammy's parents were nervous about dropping her off there and urged her to come home with them instead. They would drive her back the next morning, but Tammy declined. 
In the months leading up to this evening, Tammy had been photographed with multiple black eyes. She had also undergone a splenectomy as a result of a damaged spleen. From these statements alone, it seems fairly reasonable to assume that Tammy had been the victim of domestic abuse, so her parents' trepidation of leaving her seems 100% reasonable. And I 100% agree with them. I don't know if I could have left her. But she's an adult, but after seeing the pictures, like, I don't know. Yeah, but what would happen if she didn't come home? Exactly. Double-edged sword there. It's like you never know what's going to be worse. You're screwed if you do and screwed if you don't. Yeah. Nevertheless, Tammy was insistent that she wanted to be dropped off at home. When they arrived at the residence, it was dark inside and the door was locked. Her mother, Norma, offered to knock on the window in an attempt to wake up Jean, who was asleep inside. But to her surprise, Tammy stated firmly, you better not. She told her mother that she would just sleep in a tent in the front yard until Jean awoke and could let her in. It was noted that there had been a tent that was erected in the front yard at the residence already. Her mother got back into the truck and Tammy's parents started down the road. But Norma could not shake the uneasy feeling she had about leaving Tammy as she sat alone on the front steps of the trailer in the wee hours of the morning. And she certainly did not like the idea of her daughter spending the night in a tent. She told Jeff to go ahead and stop the vehicle and got out. She started walking back towards the trailer on foot when she heard a loud slam, like the sound of a storm door closing abruptly. She approached the trailer, but Tammy was nowhere to be seen. She assumed that Jean had awoken and let her inside. Norma walked back to the truck and left for home. The last sight Norma Hinsdale had of her daughter was when she had been sitting on the front steps of the trailer only moments before. I bet she wished she would have just stayed with her. Maybe that's what you could have done. Or just made her leave with him. And I hate that for her mom. No. Her mom knew something was wrong. She had that that feeling. Yeah. Around 9 a.m., Norma Hinsdale arrived back at the Daniel residence to check on Tammy, but was met with mounting concern when Jean answered the door and Tammy was nowhere to be seen. According to Jean Daniel, he and Tammy had gotten into an argument and that she had left at his request around 5 a.m. She put on her black leather jacket and took off on foot down the road away from the trailer. He did not know where she was, but said he'd let her know when she returned. Later that evening, Norma followed up again, but Tammy was still absent. Over the next five days, Norma and Jeff Hinsdale called and dropped by the trailer on multiple occasions, trying desperately to reach Tammy. On Thursday, June 4th, Norma arrived at the trailer to find a two-tone van parked outside, but there was no sign of Tammy. Their efforts in the days to come were also in vain. The trailer was dark and seemingly abandoned. This was unlike Tammy. If she had left Jean, she would have at least been in contact with her family. The Hinstills feared that something was terribly wrong. They know their daughter, so they know. If she would have taken off walking, she probably would have gone to a payphone and called her parents. To come pick her back up. Come pick me up. Or go into a neighbor's house and say, hey, he kicked me out. Yes. Or walk towards their house. Something. Yeah. Yeah, because I think her parents at this time lived in Piney View, and Piney View is just right up the road from Stanford, isn't it? Yeah. Finally, on June 7th, 1987, five days after leaving Tammy at the trailer, the Hinstills contacted the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department to report their daughter missing. They gave a report of the last encounter they had with Tammy and a description of their daughter. The Sheriff's Department immediately jumped into action. For weeks following Tammy's disappearance, her face and information adorned the pages of the local newspapers. Police also interviewed Gene Daniel shortly after the report was made, only to have him parrot the same story that he had regurgitated to the Hinstills. Tammy and he had fought, 
She left the house around 5 a.m. in her black leather jacket. He did not know where she was. Daniel also claimed that Tammy had left before and had been gone for an extended period of time. It was his belief that she had simply gone again and would turn back up. It's important to note to this day in 2022 that Daniel continues to insist that Tammy left him. But law enforcement wouldn't have to wait long before receiving a very incriminating piece of evidence. Some neighbors have recalled hearing loud arguing around 4 a.m. on the night Tammy went missing. And according to one of the couple's neighbors, Jean Daniel asked if he could borrow their vacuum cleaner about three days after Tammy's disappearance on June 5th, 1987. When the vacuum was ultimately returned to the neighbor, it permeated a sickly odor and it was also covered in an unknown sticky substance. Authorities were able to obtain the vacuum and quickly began to analyze the contents. The bag, which had been used by Daniel, was notably absent, however, but the sticky substance proved to be blood, human blood, which matched the blood type of Tammy Jean Daniel. With all this having been said, not one person bore witness to Tammy walking alone down the street in those early morning hours of June 2nd. So he killed her, cut her up, vacuumed her. I have no idea. That's disgusting. I mean, that's just what I'm like, putting that together. poor woman, if that's what happened. Oh, God. That's horrible. Why would you give a vacuum bag? Why would you not clean it before giving it back? Exactly. Maybe he thought he did. I don't know. Well, at least he kept the bag. We think, or the people threw it away. They could have been like, empty I'd say bags, the fact Jean. that they turned it all in, they would have turned the bag in with it. Don't you think? You, you would think. Based on the findings obtained from the vacuum cleaner, law enforcement was able to obtain a search warrant for the couple's residence on June 17, 1987. It's important to note that Jean Daniel had quickly relocated from the couple's home shortly after Tammy's disappearance. By the time the police arrived, warrant in hand, the residence only contained a sofa. However, in the master bedroom, officers discovered a large bloodstain on the carpet and down into the carpet padding beneath. Was this the crime scene where Tammy Daniel met her fate? When asked about the stain, Jean claimed that he had no idea how it had gotten there or what it could have been from. He maintained that Tammy left on her own accord and that he doesn't know where she's at. And I hope to God that the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department cut that stain out. You would think. And cut the carpet padding out. Yeah. Throughout their investigation, police have interviewed hundreds of witnesses, but have only had one primary suspect in Tammy's disappearance. However, without a body, the case has seemingly gone cold. In July 1988, a little over a year after Tammy's disappearance, Jean Daniel was involved in a shooting which left one man dead and another severely injured. According to court reports of the incident, Daniel was out at a local watering hole, Legends, with some friends. Prior to the incident, Daniel was known to have revealed a 25 caliber handgun, which he had concealed in his pants. Around 3.30 a.m., Daniel and his companions left Legends. While en route to the car, they were jumped, and Daniel sustained several injuries, including an eye injury, a cut to the head, and a broken partial dental plate. A total of seven individuals piled into the van, where Jean was said to have been riding shotgun. Two of the occupants, Bobby Lane and Carol Brammer, got out of the vehicle at the Raleigh Motor Sales. Daniel claimed to have been fearful while in the vehicle and pulled out his gun, raising it to his companion's head. Attempting to intervene, the occupants of the back seat of the van moved forward. Daniel fired three shots into the back, fatally wounding Walter Dale Morgan and injuring Cecil Miller, who had been laying on the floor of the vehicle. 
Ronald Jean Daniel pled self-defense in court and was ultimately found guilty on charges of first-degree murder and malicious wounding in January of 1989 and sentenced to life imprisonment with the recommendation of mercy. Jean appealed the court's decision multiple times throughout the 1990s with writ upon writ of habeas corpus. He was denied on multiple occasions, but was ultimately released on parole. So he's out right now. Yep, he's a free man. Well, the police probably had him on their radar, and then maybe it could have been self-defense, but absolutely not. You vacuumed up your wife. He's just a bad dude. A lot of those people he was hanging with, they're pretty crazy people. Because uh, my imagine. you know, ex-husband was involved in that whole thing, so. Lovely. Yeah. In the early 1990s, Jean was indicted on the murder of Tammy Daniel, but the case was ultimately dropped by the prosecuting attorney due to insufficient evidence. They may have opted to do this for several notable reasons. One, they would most likely not get a conviction without a body. And two, Fred Zane, the serologist, which is a scientist who studies bodily fluids for those who don't know, was involved in the case with regards to determining the presence of blood on vacuum, etc. He had come under scrutiny at the time for misstating evidence and practicing flawed methods for obtaining results. Had the prosecution pushed forward, the defense would surely have been able to get the indictment thrown out based on his involvement alone. As recently as 2007, Chief Detective Larry Lilly with the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department received evidence from an anonymous tip, which allowed him the ability to obtain a warrant to search private property in the Sand Lick area for the body of Tammy Daniel. Along with members from the Kanawha County Sheriff's Department, Beckley PD, and members from the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History, a thorough search was completed in the area in question. Unfortunately, they were unable to yield any proof that Tammy had been buried in this location and the search yielded no results. But I will say this, and I didn't put this in here, and I'm not sure it's the same property. I'm not sure where they dug, but it is said that Gene Daniel is currently residing out in the Sand Lake area since he's been released. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He should stay there. I'm not really sure where it is with regards to... I have no clue where it's at, but he should stay there. towards Bolt. Yeah. Of course. Of course it's close to Bolt. <laughs> Sammy Daniel was declared legally dead. Her mother has always felt certain of the fate of her only daughter, but without her remains has never been able to give her daughter the decent burial she so rightly deserves. In Tammy's honor, her mother Norma has erected Tammy's flower garden and memorial. In 2017, her father, Jeff Hinsdell, passed away, never being able to piece together exactly what happened to his daughter. Her mother, Norma, and brother Jeffrey still hold out hope that they will one day be able to bring home the remains of their beloved Tammy. I hope they can. I mean, that just tears me apart because I feel like... I hope that us doing this, somebody is going to maybe remember something or know something and come forward. I would like to go ahead and open this up for commentary. As you all know, this is the part of the podcast where we discuss theories and discrepancies and volley around ideas pertaining to the case. Ladies, who wants to start us off? So I honestly hope that Norma and Jeffrey get the justice that they deserve for Tammy. Tammy. Well, you know, the thing that's really weird for me is the that... The fact that your ex-husband is involved well, in the, the murder. Fact that, I mean, and I was not dating him at this time. We started dating much later, but the fact that he's involved, yes. But also the fact that I don't remember this. You don't remember this? No, I don't. I feel like I should know more about it because... How old were you, 1987. I was 16. So you would have been in high school, yeah. Yeah. And this is happening, like, right beside 
Woodrow Wilson. I mean, that's where they lived, was right beside Woodrow. Which is where you went to high school. Yes. And so I just find it really weird that I don't know more about this. And I'm kind of wondering if things were ever discussed about it. And I just didn't realize it once I was married married and was around him and a group of his friends. Because there's other people mentioned that we hung out with. Yeah, I didn't list all their names. I only listed Bobby and the lady companion. I can't remember her name. Because they had gotten out of the vehicle. Well, I'm glad Bobby did. I mean, he could have been killed and... I was shook when I started going through the court documents and I texted Beth and I said, is this your ex-husband? And I started reading the names and I was like, yes, because I knew who he hung out with. That group, he really didn't hang out with that much once. Bobby was a key witness. Yeah. This case has stuck with me forever and I don't know if it's because I associated with the rainbow vacuum cleaner or what it is, but. Well, there's something super haunting about this case. They've never found her. There's only so many places he could have put her. Same with Sharice. Well, and that's the same connection with Sharice. Well, it's Sharice. That goes much deeper, though. Sharice and Norman, they were married for about 18 months, too. Wow. Yeah. They were only married for a short amount of time. There's the potential domestic abuse tie. I'm not saying that Norman was abusive, but there have been things that have been suggested that things were kind of turbulent in that situation as well. Ladies, there's a lot you can learn from what happened to these two women. Something that I want to say is if there's anyone out there that's actually listening to our podcast and they're going through something like this. There are so many places that you can get help. Please reach out to somebody. Tell somebody and just get out of there because being abused physically, emotionally, mentally is horrible. Well, and then I just go back to that night when she disappeared and I think about her mother knowing in her gut, like we were saying, that something was wrong and assuming her daughter went inside and it was fine. But why was there a tent in the front yard? How many times had he made her sleep outside in a tent before that? That's really, really sad. And if you think about it, she was out drinking by herself. So that, to me, says that they were fighting or something. Or maybe it was just a girl's night out, but you would think they wouldn't leave her there by herself. Right. Yeah, I don't know the circumstances of why she was at El Cid, who she was with, or any of that. She probably just didn't want to go home because she knew what she was coming home to, which is sad. It's very sad. And the police called her parents and they didn't call him. Isn't that interesting? You know, she's an adult. You'd think they'd call her husband. She probably told them, no, call my mom and dad. Yeah. Why didn't they take her? I don't know what protocol is for that. It's sad because they've never been able to give her a burial and... No closure. Anybody who's lost anybody knows you've got to have that closure. And I just can't imagine how hard it is for them. I really can't. It has been 35 years since the disappearance and murder of Tammy Jean Daniel and her case is still cold. She would be 59 this October. If you or anyone you know has any information regarding the death or disappearance of Tammy Jean Daniel, please contact Crime Stoppers at 304-255-STOP. You can also submit a tip online at www.crimestoppersofraleighcounty.org. You are not required to give your name and are able to submit a tip anonymously. You can also contact the Raleigh County Sheriff's Department at 304-255-9300. Again, we would like to encourage any of our local listeners specifically to pay attention and to please come forward if you have any information pertaining to Tammy's whereabouts. She was last seen wearing a black leather jacket, black t-shirt, and jeans. 35 years, this was an awfully long time for a family to go without knowing what happened. Let's bring Tammy home. And I also would like to encourage any local listeners, once we put this podcast out, to share, 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 share. Let's flood the internet with Tammy's story and maybe someone will come forward. 
We are a very interactive group. Check out the blog, which has been uploaded to our website at www.coldcasecrewwv.com. Here we post pictures, newspaper clippings, and items relevant to all the cases on our main channel. You can also find us on social media at Cold Case Crew on Facebook, Cold Case Crew 00 on Instagram, and Cold Case Crew on TikTok. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Cold Case Crew. Be sure to join us next time when we discuss the mysterious death of journalist Danny Casolaro and the octopus conspiracy. Do you have a case that you are interested in hearing about on our channel? Send us an email at coldcasecrew00 at gmail.com and let us know who you would like to hear about next. What's your theory?